Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha, Dr. Kazemi. Are you there? Aloha. Yes, I am. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Ellie, for joining us. Before we begin, can you do a brief introduction? Sure. Um, I'm Ellie Kazemi. I founded the Behavior Analysis Program at Cal State Northridge about 10 years ago now. Um, I, most of my research is in the feedback, supervision, and training of staff. How's that? It's perfect and concise. It's awesome. Thank you. Um, and you, it's, it's kind of interesting how humbly you said you started a program. Um, so we want to talk about a couple of things today, but can we start there? Can you tell me how, tell us, how did, how did you start a program and what has it been like these last 10 years? <laughs> um, well, I, I'm going to try to keep it concise because that was really reinforcing when you said that I was concise. Um, it, it happened in a uh, roundabout way. I found behavior analysis post my PhD. So toward the very end of my PhD, um, I met a behavior analyst who was on my team. She was getting her PhD at UCLA with me. And I realized I was missing the entirety of the field, and yet I had been looking for it uh, almost all my life. Uh, my dad's an engineer, and most of my work is really empirical. Um, and even in grad school, I was always looking for more um, experimental work. And so when I found behavior analysis, the methodology was just beautiful, and I fell in love with it. And uh, in a weird way, I was very upset with the fact that I could go throughout my whole doctoral degree, uh, obtain a bachelor's degree in psychology, get a master's degree, and then get a doctorate without knowing about behavior analysis. So when I was hired at Cal State Northridge, I was really committed to bringing behavior analysis to Cal State Northridge. Um, and they hired me kind of like as a soft behavior analyst at the beginning. They, they were like, okay, you do behavioral work. That's great. Um, but I don't think they quite realized the mission I was coming in with. Um, I think every student in psychology should know about behavior analysis. So I, you know, hit the floor of running because I was really motivated. Does that kind of give you a good picture of uh, how it started? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it's just finding that passion, and then it's interesting the places it propels us to. Um, I have not, I cannot recall. Um, anybody recently saying to me they found behavior analysis post their, their PhD. That's an interesting fact I didn't know about you. Thanks for sharing <laughs> that. Um, so given your experience in the field and also your history with psychology um, and your, you've become, you've developed quite the program and I've had the fortune of hearing and meeting some of your students present and speak and it's phenomenal and work that I think, you know, other people would like to replicate. And so something that you've done that's going to help afford people to tap into, you know, your empirical investigations is your recent um, publication, your recent book. Can you uh, also talk to us about that? Sure. Um, I actually, when we started the program at Cal State Northridge, um, I was fortunate enough that my dean provided me with professional development funds. I told her that I was new to the field of behavior analysis, that I was self-educating, and I really needed a chance to get to know some of the eminent folks 
in the field to build a program that we would be proud of. So I had the funds to go out and see a few uh, top programs. I had the opportunity to speak with John Bailey and go out to Florida to see how they were supervising folks because um, distance-wise, it's like California and that students are spread uh, everywhere geographically. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be mentored by Jim Carr and Linda LeBlanc. They told me about how they did some of the things in their program and what they found successful. And really what I did was um, kind of have Jerry Shook at the time guide me through the development of the curriculum, but I was picking parts and pieces of what my colleagues were telling me are great parts of their programs. So I was getting the opportunity to kind of see different programs and select those. Supervision was always the place everyone told me that they wanted more control but did not have enough control. Um, and I was able to kind of from the very beginning embed practica into our curriculum at CSUN um, and try to hold uh, meetings where we would go through competencies with students and, and kind of get a flavor for how can we work with community partners and provide quality supervision to our students when we're working with these partners that we we didn't necessarily educate. They weren't graduates of our program, uh, but they were folks that wanted to work with us. So um, I think somewhere around eight years ago, I started to put some of this material up on my website because people would ask me for it. And they'd say, you know, you've developed this performance monitoring tool. Can I have access to it? So we started to put things up, up on our website. And we were getting lots and lots of hits, lots of people asking us for, for more material. Um, and at some point, I think uh, Kyle Miguel and some of my other colleagues contacted me and said, Ellie, just put this out in a book, because at this point, we're having students print out lots and lots of pages. Um, and it would be good if you provide prescription and give some introduction to some of the things that you're putting up on the website. Um, so I um, sat down and kind of considered how I would do that. And in between those things, I uh, received an advice from um, Springer Publishing, which I was really glad to go to because I wasn't really looking into putting a book together with my co-authors for royalty fees. We really just wanted the material to be disseminated uh, and become accessible. Uh, at this point, I think um, the the book is, is out, and I'm receiving some great feedback about it, um, and I think it is definitely um, something that I'm proud of, but it really just started as something we were doing at CSUN. We started to share with everybody else some of the material we were developing, um, and thankfully, a lot of my colleagues have been supportive and encouraging, and, and um, it's turned into... It's turned into a book that's out there now. It's kind of cool. <laughs> it's a permanent product of your um, progress and the process, I think, is also kind of what people are appreciating. What kinds of feedback are you hearing? Is it, you know, you said mostly positive or it's positive feedback? But what kinds of um, things are you getting? Is it from students or faculty? You know, kind of who is the book best geared towards? Well, thus far, I have not heard from students yet, uh, except lots of our own students uh, purchased it, and um, I received lots of cute notes, like this was my Christmas gift um, from my boyfriend, or this was my Christmas gift for my parents, and they had asked for, for the book, uh, which is super sweet. Um, the feedback I've been receiving has been mostly from colleagues, um, and 
and I'm sure you can relate to this, Amanda, you know, you have these individuals you really respect, you have a lot of respect for, so when they contact you and they, you know, provide accolades on something that you're doing, it's just a really humbling process. Um, and I've been receiving a lot of positive feedback. I think people um, are enjoying the chapter. We three different sections in the book, and one of the sections is really to prepare to intern for a professional world. So we have a chapter on self-care and time management and pivotal skills that they need to build as professionals. People seem to really like the self-care um, portions. In fact, we have like checklists for individuals to kind of check to see where they are and what are some of the things that they need to work on. And people have already written me asking if they could make copies of those. Um, I have a chapter on how do you grow from feedback that you're receiving from your supervisor and I've had colleagues tell me that it's fantastic to be able to hand off something like that to a student because it feels self-serving to say to a student, here's how I think you should grow from my feedback. But to have a chapter where, you know, they can learn, you know, how do you take those golden nuggets from what your supervisor just provided you? How do you, um, how do you create a dialogue around the feedback you receive that's appropriate and allows you to grow? So people have been kind of um, providing me some good feedback about those chapters, and I'm excited about that. Thank you for sharing. And, um, and you know, again, it's uh, I've known you for a couple of years now, and it's interesting. Every time I talk to somebody on this podcast, we learn more about their journey. So it's great to have the opportunity to sit down and be the one asking questions uh, instead of the one always always talking. Um, speaking of time and, and self-management and um, just the allocation of how we spend our energy, um, you're currently at a conference right now and <laughs> taking the time to speak with us. Can you tell us what conference you're at and what, what drove you to be there, literally? <laughs> yes, sure. So this kind of shows that I have two very um, – what seem like different passions, I see them as related to each other, and I'll explain. Um, I have this passion for technology. Um, my dad is a civil engineer, and I grew up really as daddy's only boy. Um, and he and I would build things together. So I had this very applied engineering history growing up by his side. And when I entered the field of data analysis, particularly when I started to do a lot of work in behavior skills training and, and some of my research, I realized that we're not able to reach everyone through behavior skills training, and yet it's really the gold standard for a reason. It's, it's that opportunity to practice and get feedback, which can be done through, you know, artificial intelligence and technology. So I've been um, dabbling in uh, ways to be able to do that, to take, um, you know, simulation-based learning and to embed the best of what we know from behavior skills training into it. And um, coming across a lot of different research questions to ask as I'm, I'm kind of doing this work. So right now, um, I'm treating the conference. This is completely something I've, I've ran away to do for myself. I did this last year as well. And it's uh, CES in Las Vegas. Uh, it's a consumer technology association. Usually it's for the folks that are really big companies, like Google's here, Amazon's here, uh, you've got all sorts of emergency responders here, Tesla's here, Hyundai's here, and they, they come out to showcase some of their advanced um, technologies. What, where are they going next? 
So a lot of the things that they showcase here will be coming out to the consumer in the next two to three years. Um, some of it is completely just a concept. This is where they're going to go next. Uh, and some of it is um, tangible. You can you can touch, feel, and, and see where they're going with it next. Um, so there's all sorts of self-driving cars right now on the streets. Um, there are burgers being made by robots. There's a robot bar um, where the you know robots are serving the drinks. It's pretty cool to be out here in CES in Las Vegas. You can YouTube lots of fun stuff right now actually uh, on the topic. So I come here to kind of uh, keep up my creativity to be reminded of what's possible because when you work in technology. Um, a lot of times technology shows you its limitations pretty quickly, uh, and I can get lost in my research and in my work and feel limited by some of the limitations of technology currently. So I come to CS because it reminds me of uh, what we could do next, some of the possibilities. keeps my creativity going. <laughs> How to be innovative uh, and with, with new ideas and new ways. I really like the idea of how behavior analysts, no matter where in their journey they found behavior analysis or became a behavior analyst, once we do, we commit to kind of seeing the world through those that lens, right? Whether it's technology, whether it's self-care, whether it's, you know, supervision or um, developing university coursework. So um, you have had the opportunity to travel to some pretty unique places on your path in behavior analysis. You were mentioning looking at some different programs. Um, I know that you've had an opportunity. You've been an invited speaker. Is there anywhere in particular in your journey that kind of stands out to you as, or anything that you'd like to share about just some unique adventure you've been on? Um, sure. I mean, I think I love um, going to conferences, and I love meeting different individuals in different states. Um, because there, we have so much in common with regards to what's happening uh, in practice, what's happening as far as um, licensure goes, and as far as some of the barriers we face, as well as the you know things that we're passionate about, what brings people to the field. So there's there's these commonalities, and I love seeing them going to different uh, conferences. I recently was on Taba in in Canada, and I really really enjoyed meeting with people and hearing from them what their next steps are because they're also moving toward licensure. And Canada, of course, um, has, uh, you know, all of these different perspectives about what we do in the U.S., and it's cool to be able to kind of communicate and have that dialogue with them. Of all the places, though, I think probably the one that um, I'm really passionate about is this opportunity to go to China. I have a colleague, Ling Ma, who invited me to go out there, and I think that that one stands out to me because I'm not standing across of um, emerging behavior analysts. I'm not standing across of practitioners or colleagues or scientists. I'm, I'm across of teachers and parents and administration and political figures, and at all points, I'm just kind of in this environment where I have to explain behavior analysis in different ways. Uh, and get people excited about evidence-based um, treatments for their families and for their kids. Um, that one, I think, stands out the most to me. It's always um, tested my skills the, the most because I'll walk around the grounds like Lingma has an appointment. We'll walk around a facility and 
I'll realize that if I were to use the presentation I have already come in with, that it may not be targeting that audience, and I'll go back to the room and quickly try to uh, address that particular audience, and it's tested my skills uh, in presenting. So, and I really like it. I feel like uh, we can make an impact. Um, China is quite dense with lots and lots of needs. Quite dense with lots and lots of needs seems to be the sort of what's happening in the world, and it's always kind of been what's happening in the world, and there's a lot of areas for behavior analysts and behavior analysis to apply our science uh, strategies, scientific strategies, and hopefully achieve change. Um, when you are networking or interfacing with people who are not behavior analysts, when you're meeting with policymakers or teachers or um, engineers, how do you go about talking about behavior analysis and what you do? How do you explain it to them? You know, it's I love that you asked this question, and I wish I could see your eyes um, when we were when we were having this conversation because the truth is, when I first found behavior analysis, I wanted to turn every single person into a behavior analyst. I wanted to shove it down people's throats, and it was just I, I wanted everyone to. To, to understand what they're missing in the world. Um, and that wasn't the best approach. I think my the first few years I found behavior analysis, I probably came off um, as arrogant um, and uh, maybe pushy. Now, what I do is, you know, I'm, I'm also working on a project with the fire department. I'm working with um, firefighters who are trainers. And what I've realized is that First, I have to be a contribution to the team. I try to build a relationship where people first like me as Ellie, um, and they like what I have to offer. And usually at some point in that relationship, they say, well, how is it that you know this? Or where did you get that idea? This is, uh, you know, especially with single subject designs, it's such a beautiful way to test this. Um, and as they ask those questions, I can then reveal more and more about behavior analysis. And it, it seems much more organic that way uh, and palatable. And so that's really the way I've been building relationships now. I'm working with the fire department, and in fact, they've sent me lots of um, things to go and see here at CES because they're also looking at simulations and simulation-based training and virtual reality. So I've built all these new relationships um, by kind of um, not necessarily starting off as the behavior analyst, but always remaining the behavior analyst. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, and it's really in line with a conversation a couple of other um, uh, visitors on the podcast have shared. It's basically that mission, that message that you you show somebody what behavior analysis can do. You don't tell them what behavior analysis can do. Behavior analysis is all about change and action and reflection so, um, but it's also interesting that many of us have shared that we were really zealous in our, um, <laughs> you know, mission to have everybody else know about behavior analysis. But I think that that comes from a place of, like you said, almost, almost like shock of how did I not know this? How how come this was withheld from me? And we want to make sure it's not withheld from anyone else. But we should do that by showing them gracefully the beauty and the contribution so very well put thank you so much for joining us today and for taking time out of this conference and convention to speak with people here i really appreciate it absolutely amanda it's always wonderful talking to you you rock <laughs> is there any contact information or a website you want to mention anything like that 
Well, um, I'm easy to find. I'm a public servant. I work at the university, so if you put in my first and last name, you can easily find my email address on the CSUN website. I do check that email address, and my lab website's right there. We have some resources for people about how to become an RBT. We have a lot of the material for supervision on there. Um, and we even have posted lots of stuff about robots and robotics and treatments of individuals with autism because there's a lot of questions about that and we've kind of tried to digest that research for folks. So you can easily find that website by just looking up my first and last name. Ellie Kuzemi. Um, well, thank you so much again. And for anyone who's interested in learning more about applied behavior analysis, you can go to www.behaviorbabe.com. Mm -hmm.